Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. Hey, we have an amazing event coming up, the Expert Advantage Workshop Series, where every day for a week, starting on Monday, May 20th, it's myself and another expert coming on to present to you about various kinds of things to help you with your brand and your business. Our brand new experts in residence and pro are gonna be there to co-host these workshops with me, and you're not gonna wanna miss it. You'll have a chance to ask all of them questions, and it's completely free to join. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Wednesday, May 22nd, we're gonna be talking trademarks, copyrights, how to know when to do it, what IP can you do it with, and the common pitfalls that most people fall into when it comes to intellectual property. 101 with Yasmin Salman Hamdan, and you're not gonna wanna miss that on Wednesday, May 22nd. And then finally, to finish off the expert week, on Thursday, May 23rd, we're gonna be talking with Pamela Slim, about how to monetize and scale your IP and position it and package it in a way that is unlike anything you've really been taught before. Incredible value from Pamela and all of our experts on our Expert Advantage Week. And all you have to do to sign up and join and get all the links that you need is smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Again, one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Join us on our Expert Advantage Workshop Series. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Another technique that I've identified is very, very basic, not rocket science at all, but it's the concept of over-communicate early and often. People need to hear at least seven times what you want them to hear. So we need to repeat ourselves over and over again in clear and consistent messaging so that individuals can really understand and can really drive into what we're saying. And so I think some of that clear and open and honest communication goes miles and miles towards trust development and those interpersonal relationships. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Community Experience Podcast. I am so glad you're here. I'm Jillian. I'm the host. And today I'm talking to Ingrid Christensen of Inco International. Ingrid is a polyglot, multilingual translator that has a translation and interpreting service business and recently wrote the book, The Language of Trust, which is out now. And we're really just kind of diving into human trust and how that impacts community and just how that impacts our our day-to-day as well. So great conversation right now on The Community Experience with Ingrid Christensen. All right, welcome to this week's episode. And I'm so excited because today I'm with Ingrid Christensen and Ingrid is the president and founder of Inco International. And we're talking about trust, which is so fun. I'm very stoked to talk about this right before I hit record saying this is such a perfect topic for communities. So Ingrid, before we get started, hello, welcome. Tell us a little bit about you and your company. 
because it's a great story. Hello, Jillian. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to to chat with you. I'm really hoping this will be a great conversation. So about me, I'll give you a little the quick the quick rundown. I was born. Just kidding. Um, I, I um, I started thought, yeah, I know. So I'm the president and founder of Inco International. We are a language solutions company. So that means we take things from one language into another in about 200 different language pairs. So we provide a couple different services, document translation. So that's things like websites, product material, packaging, manuals, things of that sort. Interpretation services. So we send interpreters to meetings conferences, etc. We also have interpreters that work over the phone. And we do a fair amount of subtitling and, and voiceover and, and things of that nature. So really anything from from one language to another. So I started the business, it'll be 17 years in like two weeks, we turn 17. And Almost an adult. <laughs> I know we celebrated our sweet 16 last year, which was, which was really fun. And then for my 17th birthday, I guess I wrote a book. So we'll talk more about that later. But yeah, so I, I, I launched the company 17 years ago. I also have a 17-year-old son. Oh, so perfect. It was very interesting timing to start a business with, with a newborn baby, but it all seemed to work out in the end. That is so great. Oh, I, can, I can't even imagine. It's like, what else can I do besides have a baby? Like what, how else can I turn my life upside down all at the same like pivotal time? (laughs) You went for it, which is amazing. So congrats. Yeah. Honestly, I think that I was so sleep deprived and like half deranged that I was just like, well, I guess now seems like the perfect time. So yeah, that's awesome. So as I mentioned before, I think a big thing we want to talk about today is trust. And I'm curious if you just kind of want to take us on the journey of doing these um, language translation services, all of this, and this it's very important to you, like this concept of trust. How did those intersect or what's the story behind that? Yeah, you know, I think it took me, well, it wasn't until last year that I really decided to to start leaning into trust and figuring out um, what role trust plays in language services. I think I intuitively always knew it, but I didn't name it. And it really wasn't until I started talking about the work that we're doing and really talking about how it is we do the work that we do that I started recognizing how vital and how important trust is, especially in our industry. I mean, given I, I understand that it's important in every single industry, but I can't think of anything more important when you are serving as someone's voice when they would otherwise be voiceless than to develop that level of trust. And it is just given and it's a blind trust. And it is the most beautiful exchange of, of a trusting relationship that a person can have. I mean, you, you, you have no other option when you're using someone else's voice to communicate for you than, than to trust them. And then I started thinking about all the different stakeholders that we work with. So I've kind of identified, you know, the most important person always in language services or what I call the end user. Right. So that's the family that goes to they just arrived in the United States and they and they go to their local school district to to register their kids in school with an interpreter. 
or that's, you know, the grandpa that goes into the hospital or into the emergency room and relies on an interpreter to make medical decisions for himself and really understand what's going on. I mean, you take it down to something that we're all very familiar with, like the United Nations and and brokering multinational peace accords via an interpreter. Like it's everything that is required in this industry is really based in and baked in trust. Yeah. You know, as you're saying it, I'm like, well, duh. Like, but before you said it, I I was genuinely like, oh, I wonder how this, like, how does this play in? But now <laughs> you said, I'm like, oh, yes, obviously. But I guess like intuitive, it was in my intuitive brain, but wasn't like clear. And I can only imagine, I think anybody, anybody listening, you know, if you've ever traveled outside of your, your comfort zone, but especially travel to a country or an area that speaks a different language than your native language and that you don't know. I remember as, you know, as a teen, my family was in, uh, lived in China for a while. And that's just like, nope, I can't read that. No matter how hard I look at it, I cannot figure out what that says. That looks like art. I think everybody should put themselves in that position because it's very humbling. And if you've never experienced it can be hard to understand. And, you know, your, your example of the, the grandpa getting medical work, I mean, going to the hospital is intimidating enough. And I'm curious. So have you identified sort of like, there are some basic steps some basic practices to ensure you're establishing like a baseline of trust with people? Because this is so relevant to community, although it's different in the sense of like language. But when I think about even digital communities, not everyone has the same internet savviness or awareness of how conversations work, say on a digital platform. And so I think it's it's very translatable. So that's that's my motivation of this question. <laughs> I think it's 100% translatable. And I think that what I discovered in this process of really leaning into what trust means in language services, I found that it's no different in a language service company than it is in any other company, any other organization, any other community, any other group of people, any other interpersonal relationship. But most interestingly, I think for me at least, is I recognized quickly that if you don't have the ability to trust yourself, it is impossible to even try to trust anyone else. And I think that's where so many people get locked up in this trust is that for one reason or another, they are sitting in a level of distrust of themselves and inability to really have confidence and competence in the decisions that they're making. And I think that that's first and foremost, like the biggest thing to recognize. And I also recognize in moments in my life and in talking with over 50 people and writing this book in moments of their life, when they have been in a state of distrust, they've been in a really high state of anxiety, right? And because it's a body reaction, there's chemical reactions that happen in your brain and that gets a little nerdy and and scientific, but There is a reason why you feel butterflies in your stomach, right? Your brain is sending messages to your gut to say, whoa, I I don't know if I can trust you. And when you think back to evolution, right, when we were living in a cave, we could only trust what we could see, right? We clearly didn't have cell phones to call, you know, John on the other side, say, hey, I want to trade my buffalo bones for your dinosaur bones or whatever we were trading. So we we had to, in order to survive, 
figure out who can we trust? What can we trust? Right. And it wasn't just people. It was also the bison and the dinosaur and all the other things that wanted to kill us because they were hungry. So what is interesting in those early human interactions is that it's communication. It all comes back to communication and how you communicate with somebody and how you interact with somebody. And that's how those deep levels of trust were formed. So I know I'm going kind of around in a circle here, but I think it's important to recognize that you can't trust anyone else unless you trust yourself. And then I think when you lean into that and you recognize that trust is a physical chemical reaction in your body, I think it gives you more of a reason to be able to trust. And then to go now to finally answer your question, what can we do? How the heck can we build trust, right? That is a big question, especially I think of interest is that most of us now are spending the majority of our day behind a screen, working closely with people that we perhaps have never met, we've never seen in person, and we are supposed to trust them and we're supposed to have these conversations and these, these relationships, professional and personal, with these individuals that we've never met. So we've taken away a lot of our senses. We've taken away our ability to, to physically be in connection and close to somebody So now we're relying on senses that we haven't necessarily been able to develop. So how can we do that on an online community, especially how can we lean into some of the trust building techniques that we know exist and how can we be mindful of them? I think first and foremost, as leaders, we have to recognize that we're responsible 100% for trust creation and cultivation every single day. Our people that we're talking with, that we're managing, that we're leading, that we're doing business with need to know that we care and need to know that trust is paramount to to our success together. So I think that's, you know, a couple of those things can really carry us through some of these relationships, especially that we're having online in a virtual world, not in physical connection or physical community. Some of the other things that that I've identified is that we need to operate at the speed of trust. Trust is moving fast. Life is moving really fast. We need to get on the trust boat. Otherwise, the trust boat is going to leave us. And if it leaves us, it's going to leave you behind. Some of the other things that I've that I've really kind of leaned into in the book is really looking at what words are we using when we're describing trust and being really careful and intentional with our words so that people can honestly hear us and hear our words and know that we're being sincere in some of the words that we're communicating. Another technique that I've identified is very, very basic, not rocket science at all, but it's the concept of over-communicate early and often. People need to hear at least seven times what you want them to hear. So we need to repeat ourselves over and over again in clear and consistent messaging so that individuals can really understand and can really drive into what we're saying. And so I think some of that clear and open and honest communication goes miles and miles towards trust development and those interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'll stop. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. We actually kind of expect a lot from people sometimes because at least in the communities I run, We have a a platform that people can log into. It's asynchronous. You're typing, right? So there's that side of it where you can't really totally 
get people's personality. You can't see their mannerisms and and hear their tone, especially, you know, things can come off very brash that aren't meant to and things like that. But then we also do a lot of live events that are on Zoom or this platform we love called Butter, where we're asking people to now come on and be on camera like you and I are right now and talk and depending on people's comfort level, like that's that can be a immediately I'm going to opt out. And I think a lot of it has to do again with with trust and just being in that situation of do I feel safe? Is this weird? Is this worth my time? You know, all of those things. And that's just the like everyone layer. Then there's the layer of someone is concerned, you know, maybe they identify in a marginalized community. And so they have a different level of like what safety means to them or inclusivity means to them. You have to think about what is the experience like for someone coming in new? Is that scary? And why? And how can I help? Right? I think that that's really important, Jillian. I mean, we're all kind of starting a a new here, right? We came off of two years of being home. And our worlds are are very, very different than they were pre-COVID. And the beauty and the ease and the comfort of online communities is not going to go anywhere. That's only going to grow. And it's only going to require more of us. We're only going to have to lean into that more and more and really figure out a way, how can we do that? But you said something really interesting that, that piqued my interest about, you know, the online community and the majority of it, it starts written. And how much is lost in the written word? Because I know that writing is extremely difficult. It takes a lot of time. You have to have really good editors. And a lot of what you're writing, 99.9% of it is gibberish and has to be thrown away. But we don't have time like that, right? When When you're in an online community or you're conversing with somebody or you're having an interaction on social media... You can't just go delete 99% of it, right? Once it's out there, it's out there. So how can we lean into giving each other a little bit of grace and a little bit of flexibility and a little bit like, hey, I trust you. I trust that you're coming from a good place. I trust that your intentions are good. And maybe you didn't get it spot on that first time because... Well, like I just said, 99% of anything written is gibberish anyway. So how are you going to get it right? And so how can we in community support each other and recognize that not everything is coming from a bad intention and not everything is meant to be shameful and hurtful? Totally. And it's funny because that is one of the most common reasons, even in you know a paid professional networking community, such as the one we run at SPI, that there are hurt feelings or misunderstandings or kind of, you know, issues that we have to like deescalate or anything like that, because it's just this different people's communication styles and then, and then take away the actual (laughs) conversational part. And this, honestly, when this happens in our communities, I always ask people to assume best intention. Let's assume that they didn't necessarily mean it the way you're interpreting it. Not to say we're not going to find out, but, you know, just because it is. And, and even, you know, another layer is back to, you know, what you do day to day is with language, a lot of people in communities, digital communities are global. That's one great thing about the technology of community is you can have people from every continent in your community, interacting, talking, engaging, learning things about each other's cultures, whatnot. But at the end of the day, that means people speaking, you know, translating and speaking in a different 
different than their native language. And that that's a whole other layer of that onion, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter how bilingual you are, communicating a language that is not native to you is always a struggle. And it's always a struggle. I mean, how hard is it to communicate in English for the majority of us that are that are English speakers, right? And we communicate differently. We say things differently. The sentence structure is different. The words that we use are different, even in, in different regions, even if you're in a urban area versus a rural area. And I think it's just really important to be mindful of that. Yeah, it's but I, I'm with you right there. There's been many times where I just type up the blurb and send it as fast as, as possible. That's the other thing is that we operate at such a fast pace. And it's the, you know, the first one to to get the get the words out is the first one that's almost recognized for saying that. And it really doesn't honor some people that need to move a little bit slower. Absolutely. I think also just with the idea of accessibility, this is becoming more of a thing. I know, like, for example, you know, if you're doing like a YouTube live stream and the chat is going very fast and someone may have, you know, they might be living with an experience that makes it very hard for them to follow the moving of the chat and, and be a part of it. And so like being considerate of that, adding the like slow down feature or taking breaks. I mean, like okay, everybody stop, you know, and, and even things as like the colors that you use or, you know, your text and like the style of your website or your community, you know, you might be like, oh, check this out. I'm using this beautiful burnt orange and it's on brand. And, and I'm saying burnt orange because we literally did this and then come to realize like that is very hard for people to see, you know, the, the color contrast of that with like the white screen and, and never mind dark mode. It was such a disaster. So we changed it. Right. But just being considerate of things like that is I think just the new normal and, you know, we should all embrace it, but it's also just that taking a moment to think about it. Also, I just have like a total segue question for you that I thought of as you're talking and I okay. don't want to forget right. and then we'll just jump back in. But what are your thoughts on like language and, and having to, you know, people speaking, et cetera, in a second, third, whatever language is sarcasm. One of those things that is like wholly unmissed or is that pretty... Do people pick up on that quickly? I'm so curious because I'm very sarcastic and I want to make sure I'm not <laughs> making things hard for people. I'm equally as sarcastic. And that's really interesting because I have to stop myself almost every day from putting some sarcastic remark in a chat or an email or, or something because that's that's my sense of humor. And I recognize that that's not everyone else's. The nightmare of a linguist is sarcasm jokes yeah or people like breaking out into random like song that you're supposed to know like there's a <laughs> gazillion different songs in the world you have no idea like how many times our interpreters will be on stage or something and somebody will reference a song or reference a a fairy tale or reference a book or reference a joke and they're completely lost because that that is just not that's not translatable that is not there there if there probably is an equivalent which when you're under the gun and you're on stage and you're trying to come up with, you know, I don't know, the cultural equivalent of the three little pigs, it's probably not something that, that rolls right oh, off the totally. tongue. So yeah, yeah. those. Oh, that's rough. I, I have a good friend who is a native Spanish speaker and is 
totally like impressively fluent in English. And she's worked very hard at it. I mean, it's it, she's lived in the States for a while, but she was taking classes like college level classes in English and reading books in English. And I was like, oh, that's so, you know, I was kind of asking her about it and we were talking. And yeah, she said, we just started talking about like, what, is there anything that still trips you up a little bit? As I recall, some of the like in fiction and like fantasy type books, like there's some words that's like, and I'm like, girl, me too. But even just as an English only speaker, I have the same problem. But uh, yeah, she said jokes, like certain kinds of jokes and yeah, pop culture, depending how exposed you've been to like Western culture, I guess, which I can't imagine like if people were just talking about like, I'm trying to think of an example, like say like Indonesian pop culture, I would be so lost and just like, that's, that's, that sounds nice. I wish I knew what this was. Hmm. That's, that's nice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's very, very tricky. It's very tricky. I mean, it's even tricky when I listen to like my teenager talk. I have no idea <laughs> yeah, most of the time. Like we'll be talking about with his friends, right? And right. it's like I, I got I got uh, nothing. So yeah. and it's presumably the same the same language. Yeah. All that to say, like all of us in, in, in everything should just be mindful of those things, especially when we're the face of something. And we have a global audience. We have, uh, and not even global. I mean, we have plenty of people, even in the U.S., that aren't native English speakers that don't always get our silly jokes and references and would probably appreciate if we either explain them so they can be in on the joke or just toned it down, <laughs> toned down the sarcasm. Well, the other thing, Jillian, that I talk about is the power of the ask. And I think that multilingual folks, like, they want to be asked questions and they want to be engaged with. And so if you are are catching on that somebody is, you know, they're not following the joke or they're not quite like getting the sarcasm, like that's a really appropriate time. Just be like, hey, can I explain this? Because likely they want to know. They want to be a part of it. Nobody wants to be left out, especially if it's something funny, like you want to laugh just as much as everyone else does. That's, that is such a good call out. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's I mean, people then can say yeah, I want to talk about it or, or no, I don't, but that you don't know if you don't even open up the conversation. I, I try to be mindful of that in, especially like live calls, like, you know, with community, with anything, you, you sort of get these like inside jokes. We have a, you know, and we have a ton in our community. And so I have to remember that not everyone knows them um, because people join later, but also when we do external events. And that's, I think that's a good example of, you know, um, for a long time, the mastermind groups we create, we name, we just put names on them um, and then said, you know, you can change it later. But a lot of people just stuck with them. And we were trying to do very just like cool, like non-controversial, which is very hard anymore. Just something that no one would be like weirded out about. Ironically, what we ended up doing was really weird, but we, we did like fruits and vegetables. So for example, there was the tomato mastermind. And so people like if we were doing a live stream or something, doing some sort of event, one of the members of that in the chat would be like team tomato, you know, or, and you know, anybody who know, you know, if you know, you know, everyone is laughing about it. So we're just making the point to tell people like, Oh, what I just told you, you know, these are masterminds. This is why they're silly, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, it goes a long way. I know. I think people just, even if they don't think it's funny, just knowing what it is and why people are laughing, it just makes it, again, it goes back to inclusivity. Like just if you're going to tell an inside joke, be prepared to make it an outside joke, you know, in, in these groups. Right. Because I think what's natural is that you think that the people are laughing at you. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, I'm sure people like there are people, but again, you have to work 
from this place of people are are showing up and they're they're doing their best. They're they're coming from a place of good intention. But it it you can't help but feel uncomfortable when there's a group of people laughing around you and you have no idea what they're laughing at. You think, well, they must be laughing well, at Well, and I think we all have experienced that. And so we all know, like, oh, you know, just taking a second to be like, oh, let me explain <laughs> for, again, context, for context. Okay, well, thank you for going on this segue journey with me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Welcome <Yes>. to my <laughs> world. Welcome to how my brain works. So let's jump back in. I want to talk about your book because you just wrote a book, The Language of Trust. And I want to know everything. So tell us what made you write this? What's it about? All the things. Oh, all the things. All the no things. Pressure. Well, all the things. <laughs> no pressure. 2022 was all about book writing for me. And I think I knew for a long time that I wanted to write a book. Wasn't sure how or when I would fit that process into my life. And it just seemed like things were okay enough, if that's a word, okay enough for me to to really dive into this huge endeavor. And at moments, it was a little overwhelming, but it hasn't been completely overwhelming the entire time. I would say that the majority of the work that had to happen was internal, and me to get out of my own way, because it's very vulnerable putting all these words onto paper that are going to be forever and eternity like printed. So no pressure at all. You know, like I said before, 99.9% of what I wrote was was gibberish. So I had to cut a lot of it out. And, and it's still it's not perfect. There are sentences that are total junk. There are paragraphs that are probably worthless. There's probably chapters that don't make any sense. But I came to the point where I, I discovered that done was better than perfect. And that's the way we were going to make this this whole thing happen. And I knew that I had a point of view and a perspective that was really important that people would want to hear. And I knew that I had some very unique experiences from the past 25 years of working in language services that people find fascinating. I've got some some pretty raw and funny stories, some heartbreaking stories throughout the book of my experience being alongside people at every step of their life, really truly being, being their voice. You know, I can say that I've been in and out of jail more than most people. I've seen babies be born. I've seen people take their last breath. You know, I've been with people during all sorts of moments of their life. And it's been an incredible gift and opportunity for me to sit in that place and that immense place of of trust. And then I really started to think about how much trust our clients give us, right? They... They give us this document in English and they say, we need it translated into six languages, you know, by Monday or whatever. So we translate it, we give it back to them. And it dawned on me that they can't read a single word in this document that we've translated for them. And they're taking these documents and they're, they're putting them out into the world and they're, and they're closing business deals. They're, they're brokering contracts. They're buying, you know, huge pieces of equipment, they're hiring, they're firing, they're making big life decisions based on the trust that they are putting in these documents that they're accurate. And it just kind of blew me away this how much trust is given in the world, and how much we talk about trust, but we don't actually recognize all the activities that go into building up trust. So That's kind of my big 
why because I felt like I had some important things to say. I love reading. I enjoy writing. And I wanted, you know, the reader to really step into some of my experiences that I've had in this industry and how and why trust has really played a part in that. That's so wonderful. As you're talking about these experiences you've had, it reminds me of, you know, people who go into like nursing and like hospice work in particular, you know, that's hospice workers are very dear to my heart because it's, it's such a, it's such a deeply personal experience that you're going through with that person and to be there for them. It's just, I mean, I, this is woo woo, but I just, I call it angel work because it really is just the, you know, like that is, you're that person's angel for that moment in their life, which could also be, you know, prison related or anything else doesn't have to be hospice or end of life. It's, it's all of it because, you know, it's like you said, very vulnerable experiences for people. So to be able to come in and be the thing that they can like, be like, this person has me and they're advocating for me. It's beautiful. So if you're willing, is there a story in particular in the book? You don't have to give us the full, but just like a, a, like, is there like a favorite story or client or experience you had? I do tell the story right away in my interpreting career. I started working for a lovely couple and they were struggling to have a baby and we're going through through the whole fertility process. And I can't imagine, I mean, the amount of trust that it, that it took for them to, to hand over this process, not hand it over to me, right? Because I wasn't doing the medical work, but I was, the, you know, I was brokering the communication. And, and anyway, so they struggled. It was like a two and a half year struggle to, to get pregnant. You know, they had lost pregnancies. And, and finally, they had a viable pregnancy with twins. And you're not supposed to be emotionally connected, right? We're supposed to be a bridge of communication. We're supposed to be these invisible people that just are someone else's voice. And I couldn't help but feel such an overwhelming sense of emotion and happiness and joy and love for them and just wanted to celebrate this moment with them. And of course I couldn't, right? Because that would be stepping out of my professional role. But things like that, when you know that you're truly making a difference, just warm my heart in such ways and just prove to me that this is such a cool industry, a fascinating profession, and just a really, really interesting insightful look into so many different people's lives and so many different aspects of people's lives. You know, even, even my time in jail and prison, I don't break a lot of laws. Like I, I'm knock on wood. I'm hopefully not going to be sent to prison or jail anytime soon, but to have that opportunity and to sit in a moment of pure vulnerability with someone when they are really at the probably the lowest low that they've ever been in. And to be able to communicate for that person and with that person is is really, it really rocks your rocks your soul and talk about, you know, woo woo ness, it really, you know, it opens you up to a different perspective and a different level and a different dimension of human connection. I I mean, I bet I would be so bad at this job because I have a horrible time. (laughs) Like I'm very good with boundaries. However, 
Like there's just no way I couldn't like I would be crying telling this couple they were pregnant with twins. Be like, oh yes, like celebrating, you know. And I, I understand it's totally not cool, <laughs> so I wouldn't last very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little crazy. You, you get, I mean, you deal with it afterwards, yeah. but yeah, it's hard. I mean, our interpreters go into really, really hard situations. There was a, a deadly apartment fire here in our community. And one of our interpreters had to go and, you know, facilitate communication because she was there. She needed to go in with the family to identify bodies. Wow. And like, how are you trained for like, you're not like she didn't know when she got into this job that she'd be, you know, that she would be asked to provide such services. But yeah, you you just really, truly never know what what what's going to come of your day. Both exciting and exhausting, it sounds like. Yeah. So I have I have to ask, because this is just one of my jams, is boundaries and, and, you know, taking care of yourself in these sorts of roles where you are, you know, a service to other people, it's very easy to get burnt out and just, you know, exhausted. Do you have tips? Because community builders on a different level, we're not going into morgues. Um, that, well, maybe we are. I don't know. I'm not yet. I currently haven't done that for my job, but I'm, you know, we'll see. Do you like just with your experience with your your staff, everything, do you have just guidelines or tips that you have for protecting yourself from the more emotional yeah. experiences? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of what I'm going to say is a lot that you've heard before, but it's really important to carve out the time for quiet and for introspection and whatever that looks like, if it's a walk in the woods, if it's meditation, if it's reading, if it's just sitting in silence, making sure that that's a part of your every single day. And I used to want to poke my eyes out every time someone would say, I've got this beautiful morning routine. And it's so great. And I wake up and I drink my, you know, green smoothie. And people, you know, everyone was like, it's so amazing. And so finally, I decided to try it. And now I'm I'm hooked. So now I I also have this (laughs) Yeah, but I'm not going to tell you how great it is. But it has become a really essential part of my day of my life to make sure that there's time for me to be reflective. And there's time for me to be thoughtful. And there's time for me to be, you know, just really thoughtful about everything that I'm experiencing and going through. Life is full of lots of challenges all the time. And we cannot be the best versions of ourselves if we're not taking care of all the different aspects of our life. So, so yeah, I would say that it's the, you got to do the things that you don't want to do. Yeah. Right. The things that are actually, you got to eat spinach, you got to work out. (laughs) Yeah. We're always so resistant to like doing, like being well, it's like, damn it. Fine. Fine. I'll go outside. (laughs) I know. Right. And we always feel so much better afterwards, but it's like this mental block of you just got to do it. You just got to do it. It's the five second rule, right? Sometimes I just count down to five. And I, when I get to, you know, when I get when I'm done with five, I just got to get up and do the thing that that I least want to do. do. It. So That really does work. Is it I think it's Mel Robbins that wrote the book about that. I remember, I think I listened to it, but I was like, this works. Like it actually works. If you're just like five, four, three, two, one, go. And, and like, you just get out of your own way, because you, you like kind of just turn your brain off in a way and just like make a timer. And then you're like, ah, gotta get up. There's something about it. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, almost all of our questions could be answered if we just got out of our own way. (laughs) It's so true. Like we just got out of our own way and just 
trusted in the universe and just did all the things we know we're supposed to do. Oh, it's like you're just reading my mind about all the stuff I'm trying to do right now. <laughs> but I love what you said earlier about done versus perfection, because I think that should be like the mantra of 2023. It's like good enough. <laughs> C's get degrees, everybody. We're good. Like, just get it out the door. It's fine. <laughs> That's hilarious. C's get oh, degrees. Yeah. Right in, yeah, it's right in the middle of final season for a lot of kids. And I'm sure they're feeling the pressure. Yeah, C's do get degrees. Yeah, it, not everybody has to be at the top of their game all the time. We all have different strengths. Well, and just giving yourself permission to rest and be like, you know, I'm going to do this thing. It may not be the most profound thing I've ever done in my life, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to learn from it and gain experience and and whatever, C's get degrees. And then later, there's going to be an opportunity where you have the energy for it and you also have the C's get degrees experience and you do a, a banger job. So it's all fine. And that's the other thing that, that I talk a little bit about in the book. It's like so much of the way that we talk to ourselves, like we would never, ever say that to any other person in the universe, like no matter how much we dislike them. Oh, it's so true. We say things to ourselves that are just terrible. And one thing that I'm trying to be really mindful of is be very scrupulous and careful with my words because of the energy that I'm putting out and the energy that I'm absorbing from my words. And it's a challenge. It's hard. Yeah. Something to work on. Yeah. When you, when yeah. you think about it, a little segue, and then we're going to get into our rapid fire questioning, which <laughs> I already told you there's no math. So don't worry. There is still no math. Okay, good. Please do not make <laughs> right? me do math. <laughs> I was watching a TikTok video and it took me a while to figure out where she was going with it. But this woman was talking about, you know, I was going to the gym and this woman came up to me and was like, you shouldn't be here. Like you're already overweight. What are you, you're just going to fail. And then I went to the locker room to get ready to go swim. And a woman said, Oh, you're really going to go in the pool. Ooh. And like, there's just all these things. And she's finally like, that woman was me. It was my like inner monologue and, you know, listening. And it, there's just something that clicked for me with it because it's like, totally. Yeah. I think like we all do it in our own way. And, and when you hear it in the context of a different person, I'm like, hold me back. <laughs> I will make sure she never says that to you again. Seriously. Yeah. I was like, cringing. Yeah, I'm like, oh my horrible. God, who is going to talk to somebody like exactly. that? But you're true. You're right. Yeah, we say things it's like the that. crap that we tell yeah. ourselves. I, yeah, it was, it was interesting. So Anyways, I will stop with my segues, but yeah, that was a, I think just, it was a powerful, hopefully people listening, like get out of it too. It's just like a, wow. Like there's a shift in your own, like, like, God, anyways, well, Ingrid, this has been great. We're going to do what's called rapid fire. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm asking you a few questions actually. And the goal is to be rapid fire, which I'm terrible at. Cause I always want to ask follow-up questions, but I'll do my best not to. So your goal is just like first thing that comes to mind, quick answers. Are you ready? I am so ready. I've never been more ready. You've got this. You are so ready. I believe in you. Ingrid, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? A teacher. How do you define community? People that love me and support me for whatever decision I'm currently making and people that I can love and support for whatever decision they're currently making. All right. You may or may not have a bucket list, but if you did, what is something on that list that you have done that you have achieved? Um, skydiving. Ooh. Okay. And <laughs> terrifying. And uh, flip side, um, what's something on that list that you haven't yet done, but you hope to? I think it'd be really fun 
to do like a a race car track training practice thing where you get to like drive really fast around in circles. Oh my gosh, you're an adrenaline junkie. (laughs) 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 So you just wrote a wonderful book. So besides that book, because that's the easy answer, what's a book you wish everyone would read or you just love? Oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. Well, I think it's really important at least once a year to read the four agreements. I love it. Yeah. That rep. Yeah. If you can just read that one book once a year, you're golden. It's such a quick read. It really is. Yeah. That's a good idea. I think I'm going to take you up on that. Yeah. I have it on audiobook and I just play it in the house. So I'm hoping that by osmosis, it will influence the people in my house. So I happen to know you live (laughs) in Minnesota. If you could live anywhere else in the world, where would you want to live? I would for sure, absolutely, as soon as possible, live in a place where I have warm fingers and toes every single day. (laughs) I cannot wait to have feeling in my fingers and toes every day. That said, if I had to pick a very specific spot in the United States, it would probably be in New Mexico. And if it was not in the United States, I envision myself living in the south of France and by the time I am living in the south of France, they, they being the scientists and experts, are going to discover that bread and cheese, so dairy and gluten, are actually really good for you. So I'm going to be able to enjoy my warm fingers and toes sitting in the south of France eating a lot of bread and cheese. I'm, I'm with you. Like, I'll be in the airplane seat <laughs> next to you. I'm, let's do this. <laughs> Come on, scientists. <laughs> Waiting on you. Uh, Okay, final question, Ingrid. How do you want to be remembered? Mm, I want to be remembered for being kind, for being loving, and also with a nice dash of fun mixed in. That's perfect. I love it. Tell our audience where they can find you, whether it's on social or your website, and also where to find your book. Yes, absolutely. So I have a website, it's ingrid-christensen.com. And that has all sorts of information on speaking engagements in the book and myself. Also that same handle on social. So it's Ingrid Christensen. I'm also, if you Google me, I'm, I'm an island in Antarctica. And I'm also a famous artist. Those two people are not me, actually. I did not, I'm not an island, nor am I a famous artist. But there's not very many Ingrid Christensen's in the world. And then where can you buy the book? You can buy the book on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and all your other mainstream outlets where a person would would buy a book. Lovely. And one more time, the, the name of the book is The Language of Trust. The Language of Trust. Very apropos. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ingrid, thank you so much for being here. This was a blast. I know our audience is going to just love this. Um, yeah, appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Jillian. This has been super fun. I loved it as well. And I um, hope you have a fabulous evening. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you learned something from our mistakes and our blocks. Maybe you have a block that you can work through, or maybe you just enjoyed two silly gals talking and jibber-jabbering about the things we are working on. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, have a great day, and we'll see you next Tuesday. 
You can learn more about Ingrid at ingcointernational.com. That's I-N-G-C-O international.com. And find her new book, The Language of Trust, at all your favorite booksellers. Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski. And our editor is Paul Gregoris. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski. See you next Tuesday.